We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Hey, good evening. And also in studio today, we're lucky to have Jay Tingye of the U.S.-based Ketagalan Media. It's a pleasure to be here. And by phone, we've got our Southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith. Hey there. On the show today... Well, Taiwan's 2016 presidential and legislative elections are tomorrow. So I guess we'll be talking about that. Uh, as you just heard, we are showing up in full force today. We've got our correspondence with us uh, breaking down how this thing is going to be shaping up locally in the north, center, and south. Then in the second half, we'll be looking at how some of the smaller parties are shaking up this election for both the DPP and the KMT. And we'll also be taking a quick look at the role of vote buying and corruption in the election. But first, I want to just take one second to do the numbers uh, just to get a better sense of the shape of this thing. Uh, So, Gavin, how many voters are eligible for this election? Well, the Central Election Commission reported earlier this week that 18.78 million people can cast ballots on Saturday. Tomorrow. Okay, out of a total population of 23 million. Yes, but of course this is this is flexible because there's not not everyone gets to vote in all the ballots. So let me cut to the chase here and explain this. Now, according to the election commission of that 18.78 million, 12.93 million or 68.8% of eligible voters are registered in the country's six special municipalities. Of these six special municipalities, New Taipei has the highest number of eligible voters, and that number stands at 3.2 million. That's followed by Kaohsiung and Michael's domain down there, with 2.25 million people that can cast their ballots. Taipei, the capital, has 2.18 million people who can cast ballots. Taichung, there's 2.14 million people who can vote. In Taoyuan, there's 1.63 million that can vote. And in Tainan, there's 1.53 million people who can go out tomorrow and put their X under the picture. And now, if you want this broken down even more, Keith, which I know you do because I know you love your numbers. I do love my numbers. In terms of age groups, the Election Commission says 3.92 million registered voters are in the 30 to 39 age bracket. 3.61 million people are in the 40 to 49 age group bracket. And 3 million voters are in the 20 to 29 age group category, which, of course, is quite interesting because, of course, these, tw- these are the technically the younger voters. Exactly. So it's a, that's a pretty even distribution. The younger voters... Not too far away. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's a surprisingly close. Yeah. So the younger voters do have a lot of heft. Do we have any sense of uh, how many are actually going to go out and vote? Well, I only have a, a bit of anecdotal evidence from the South. I've been talking to as many people as possible, stopped by a university, stopped by a uh, department store over the last few days, and just basically tried to talk to, to younger people. And uh, down here in Kaohsiung, almost everyone I spoke to said that they were definitely going to vote. A couple of people surprised me, uh, impressed me rather, by saying they wouldn't tell me who they would vote for, which is what I would tell a reporter if they asked me. But uh, uh, others told me who they were planning on voting for. But the main interesting thing was the participation rate seems uh, like it's going to be very, very high. Also, good weather is expected for tomorrow, which, of course, makes a difference in any election in any part of the world. 
So Taiwan usually puts uh, Western democracies to shame when it comes to participation rates. America, I believe, uh, cracks like 40, 45 percent when it comes to presidential elections. But we could be seeing something closing in on 80 percent even is some of the predictions of participation. So that's quite impressive. All right. Gavin was shaking his head a little bit on that weather comment, but we're just going to let that go. We'll let the weather (laughs) guides decide how this is going to shake up. Of course, uh, polls open tomorrow at 8 a.m. They close at 4 p.m. So uh, a rip-roaring election day that we have in store for us. Let's look at, though, how it's shaping up locally and uh, start down south with you, uh, Michael Smith. Uh, You've been helping us with our coverage uh, down at your home base in Pingdong. And uh, I understand that yesterday in Kaohsiung, uh, there was a lot of election stuff going on because uh, Eric Ju went to town. Yeah, that's right. And uh, weather-wise, actually, yesterday was quite miserable down here. It was uh, like 17 or 18 degrees and raining, which for us is uh, very, very, very cold. So he was here, but he still got tens of thousands of people to come out and support him uh, at his uh, mall, uh, at his uh, rally rather, next to the Dream Mall in Kaohsiung. So uh, he basically made his last pitch, you know. He said, I've been out here for um, X amount of uh, weeks trying to explain what the issues are. And in his view, it's quite simple. The DPP is making empty promises. He says, if you want a stable hand, you've got to uh, select him. Um, and he criticized the uh, local governors down here, including the mayor, Chen Ju, saying the dengue fever epidemic is responsible and all this sort of stuff. Um, Tsai Ing-wen, the DPP candidate, was here a week ago, and I think that was the last time that she's going to be visiting the the South (laughs) before tomorrow. And she had a rally that attracted perhaps as many as 100,000 people on January 9th. And uh, she also gave her pretty much her standard uh, campaign stump. However, when Tsai made her appeal down here, there was something noticeably interesting. She didn't talk so much about her own candidacy, and instead she focused more on uh, promoting the legislative races and hoping that people would not split votes and that they would give her, if she ends up being elected tomorrow, a legislative majority in the legislative UN, which would mean 65 uh, seats and up. And if that happens, of course, that would be the first time in the legislative UN's history that an opposition party has uh, become the the majority. And uh, that's what she's hoping for. So that was what she was focusing on when she was down here. Right. So uh, those calls for party solidarity on... uh the, the uh, legislative vote, uh, we've been hearing a lot about that this week. We'll talk about it more in the second half of the show. Let's talk about those local legislative races. Now, of course, uh, Southern Taiwan is a stronghold for uh, the DPP and especially the, the Pan Greens more generally. Uh, is that the way that it looks like it's going to be shaping up this time around as well? Yeah, well, we're seeing some really interesting demographic changes um, in the South specifically, because before, uh, just a couple election cycles ago, if you said Zhuoying, which is a, you know, like to the, uh, the Xi district of Kaohsiung, I guess would be a comparison. But if you said that, or you said Fengshan or Daliao, or some of these uh, districts of Kaohsiung, they were automatically associated as part of the KMT stronghold small areas in Kaohsiung. And that was mainly because many descendants of military personnel or um, civil servants and these sort of people lived in those areas and they were reliable KMT voters. But what we're seeing is a complete change. If you go to Zoing now, you'll see high-rise apartments and uh, mixed housing and industry. We're seeing a, a whole new generation grow up and it looks like the area of Kaohsiung is going to go pretty much the same way as Tainan and essentially be completely green. Tainan right now is, is completely controlled by 
the, the Green Party. And if uh, things continue the way that uh, they're expected to in the South, we are going to see that also happen all through Kaohsiung as well. So it's been a green stronghold, and it looks like they're tightening their grip, really. Right, yeah. There's only two races in the city that are even considered uh, uh, sort of, you know, uh, contested. One would be the Zoying race, where a uh, long-term KMT uh, legislator, she decided not to run this time around, much to the chagrin of her party, uh, and she is now uh, retired, and there's two people up against each other, and it looks like uh, that reliably KMT area of Zoying, uh, District 3 is Zoying and Nanzi, is going to flip hands. We're also looking at Xiaogang, where last time around a KMT, uh, quite a popular uh, guy down there, was elected, but only because the vote was split three ways. This time around, it looks like he will not be able to hold on to that seat as well. And if that's the case, then all nine of the electoral seats that are elected specifically for representing areas in Kaohsiung will be green. All right, so looking at uh, the real possibility of a clean sweep down there. Up next, we're going to be looking at central Taiwan politics and all the races going on there. Donovan Smith is ICRT's central Taiwan correspondent. He could not join us uh, this evening, but Gavin did get in a few words with him earlier this week. Uh, We got it on tape, so we'll be playing that for you right now. In just a second, they're going to be talking about how the local legislative races are shaping up in Taichung, breaking that down a little bit. But first, uh, they started off their conversation talking about the presidential race, And Donovan told us how the KMT, DPP, and PFP presidential candidates have been carrying out their campaign. In general, the three of them have been here quite a lot. And uh, specifically, Eric Chu and uh, Tsai Ing-wen have referred to central Taiwan as being crucial. Uh, In particular, uh, uh, Tsai Ing-wen has referred to Zhang Hua as being critical. Right, of course. Zhang Hua went DPP. Most of it's gone DPP down there in the last local elections. So, is yes, there, right. are we expecting the any last nine to one election there? Yeah, yeah. Are we expecting any surprises down there, or it's pretty much set? Do you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot kind of up in the air, but I think that in general it's going to be a pretty it's going to be a very deep green sweep. Right. So, where do you see Taichung's? I believe there's eight districts in Taichung, and where will they be sitting after the ballot? Well, okay. Using the um, using the uh, nine and one elections as sort of a guide guideline, uh, the Taichung one, which is Da Jian Dan, uh, that went to that currently is already held by the DPP, and it went fifty eight, uh, nearly fifty nine percent for Lin Jialong in uh, the nine and one elections. Uh, the Taichung two, which is Sa Lu Longjin, uh, which I mentioned, that also went nearly fifty nine percent for. Uh, the DPP, so the the KMT incumbent is probably going to lose there. Uh, in the Taichung three, Holy Shenggang, Daya, and Tanzi, uh, which I just mentioned again, went nearly sixty percent for Lin Jialong in the last uh, the nine one elections. So that's probably going to go for the NPP. The Taichung four, which is Shituan, Nantuan, uh, which is my district. This is a very competitive one. Uh, but, interestingly, it actually went only 53% uh, for Lin Jialong in the last election and was a big blowout in the 2012 election uh, for, um, uh, for Mainjo. Totally, Mainjo totally dominated. It's a very blue district. But in the 2012 legislative elections, and this is a rematch of it, 
it was actually fairly close because the DPB candidate is a local sky and of a, of a very powerful local political family, the Zhang Miao uh, family. So Zhang Miao Wanjian has a pretty good chance, even in the very blue district. Now, the Taizhou 5, uh, this is a KMT incumbent. This is the one that they're most likely to hold. Uh, Lu Xiuyan, who was uh, famous for her red poodle, uh, is matched up against a TSU candidate, and the TSU candidate is not a major figure, and it only went 53.16% uh, for Lin Xiaolong in the 9-1. In the so this is the one big, strong hope for the KMT in Taizhou. Uh, the Taichung Six, which is Xi Chu and Zhong Chu, uh, this has been a blue district. Sorry, this has been a green district since 2012, um, and they're pretty solidly in the blue, in the green camp now. Uh, the Taichung Seven's also a green camp, of nearly 60 percent, and uh, the Taichung Eight, which is currently a uh, is in the KMT camp, but they also went 57.99 percent, or basically 58 percent in the 9-1 election for uh, Lin Jialong. So it looks like the the KMT is competitive in one to three districts uh, in Taichung, but probably they're only going to hold one. All right, and that was Donovan Smith. Obviously, uh, a lot more politics going on down in central Taiwan, but we're going to have to leave it there. You know, just a, just a taste for now of central Taiwan politics. Let's move up north now for our uh, final look at the local races. And uh, Gavin, well, northern Taiwan uh, historically has been a, a pretty strong uh, location for the pan blue. But, you know, the uh, pan green and the DPP, they really are riding high in this election ever since uh, late 2014 in those elections. Uh, and so here... Even some places that should be stronghold are looking pretty contested. Well, in the capital, Taipei, it's rather open, I believe. Although the minor, the DPP, of course, has been out thumping the streets. And, of course, the minor parties have been out thumping the streets as well. The new power party has held some huge rallies in Taipei as they seek support in the capital. And, of course, Taipei Mayor Kerwinger has attended most of these rallies. And members of the new power party have been on the stage with him as he has stumped for them. And it's kind of an interesting move for him because he sort of said that he was going to maintain uh, a hands-off approach to these elections. Uh, now it looks like he's making endorsements. Well, he, he, he is consistent in that he does seem, uh, w- when he was on stage yesterday, for example, he was saying that I am an independent and he feels that the people that he's uh, supporting have more of independent sort of views than specifically adhering to a political ideology. So in that regard, perhaps he's being consistent in his support. And Ting, in northern Taiwan, what are you going to be watching? Um, so in Taipei, another race that I am personally interested in is the race for uh, Professor Fan Yun in the Dan district. So this is another one of those districts where the DPP has never had success. Um, and so in this race, they've uh, decided not to nominate anybody and decided to put their support behind the Social Democratic Party's founder, uh, Professor Fan Yun from National Taiwan University. The... Um, and this will get into it on the second half, I'm sure. But these, the Social Democratic Party has always had a competitive slash cooperative um, stance towards DPP. They've been critical of the DPP in the past, uh, but then you know they're also sort of counting on the DPP's supporters to put their weight behind them. So it's interesting to see how many votes she's actually going to be getting. All right, so that's kind of a breakdown all across Taiwan of the races uh, that you should be watching, big and small, how it's likely to break down. Of course, we'll know for sure tomorrow evening. We're going to have to go to a quick break now, though. When we return, a look at what the smaller parties are up to 
in tomorrow night's election. And, uh, well, we do hear a lot about vote buying, but is the corruption situation getting better or worse in Taiwan? We're going to answer that question as well. All that and more when we return. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly look at the top news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Che Tingye, Donovan Smith, and Michael Smith. A lot of people with us today, but uh, it's a big day because, of course, tomorrow is the 2016 presidential election, presidential and legislative elections as well, and we have uh, decided to dedicate our entire program to it. Uh, So now continuing our coverage and moving on to those pesky third parties here in Taiwan, They always do seem to have a way of upsetting the best laid plans of Taiwan's two major parties. Uh, And this time around, there's more of them than ever. So how is this playing out? Well, the term we've been hearing a lot this week is pool the party vote. We've been hearing appeals to pool the party vote from both the KMT and the DPP. Uh, Gavin, what exactly uh, are they asking for? Well, the DPP which of course is hoping to get a majority in the legislature, has been calling on its voters not to vote for these smaller parties, but to vote for DPP representatives when there are DPP representatives. Of course, the DPP has done a couple of deals, more than a couple, quite a few deals with the smaller parties and said, we're not going to put a, we're going to put a candidate in there. So this party will put a candidate in there. But where the DPP has put legislative candidates, they are hoping that DPP supporters will vote for the DPP and not one of the smaller parties. This is especially interesting when it comes to the legislature at large seats, of course, because the DPP is rather concerned that the legislature at large seats could be the tipping point, as in whether they get a majority or whether they get not a majority in the legislature. Right, exactly. So that that really could be pivotal. And this week we uh, were, were hearing some concern that they're not going to make quite as many as they were expecting to originally. That was the legislature at large seats. They, they were looking at 16 and they are looking at 12. And uh, the story there is that, as you were saying, uh, they're facing some pretty stiff competition from some of these uh, third parties, especially uh, some of these are spinoffs of the Sunflower Movement. That would be both uh, the New Power Party and the the Social Democrats. Which, of course, are traditionally the voters would vote for them that would vote for the DPP. Or that's the line of thinking anyway. They're competing over the same votes. Basically, yeah. And uh, there were moves earlier in this campaign to sort of... Uh, try to coordinate with those parties, not compete in the same districts. Uh, of course, you know, they will, of course, be competing uh, with each other on those uh, on the party section of the ballot because each voter is asked to just vote for one party uh, and then the votes are sort of allocated proportionally. The seats are al- allocated proportionally, rather. So that's kind of the story to be watching is how well the DPP is managing to coordinate with uh, these uh, smaller parties. Uh, Ting, what do you see there? Do you think that they're going to be able to uh, square that circle? Uh, I mean, I think that's the basically the main drama of this year's election. So the uh, the power the the party list ballot has uh, only been instituted in Taiwan since two thousand eight. So this is literally only the third time that we're seeing this. Um, since people do vote for a party nationally, a lot of smaller parties or a lot of people who want to get into the uh, the legislature thought, okay, we'll just band together, start a new party. If we have a good brand image, a good brand equity, people might vote for the party, and then we can all go into the Congress. The um, smaller parties, basically, I think most of them are, at least the ones on the, on the pan-green side, have two main... Uh, contentions or two main objectives that they're contending with. 
One is well, let's make sure the KMT and its allies get、uh, the majority. Two, let's make sure that we have enough of a seat, enough of a presence in the parliament, so we can become a、uh, so-called、um, key minority,、mm-hmm. right? And so I think for different parties, the the question is wh- whether which one of those objectives comes first, right? And 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 part of that question sort of breaks down to. Uh, if you're one of these small parties, is、uh, the enemy the KMT? Are you trying to beat the KMT back, or is the enemy establishment politics in general? Is it really、uh, the established politics of Taiwan that you're trying to upset and and provide you know、uh, an alternative to these two major parties? And I think for them,、uh, I've talked to a lot of them over this week.、Um, all of them will tell you, well, our first objective is to take down the KMT first. And then the question is how much of it, how much of the second objective, which is to obviously for their own survival, for their own longevity, earn as many seats as they can, right? Because sometimes、um, doing so may strategically or sort of on a technical、uh, level hurt the DPP's chances more than they hurt the KMT's chances. And so、um, it kind of depends on their target audience, the kind of people that they're trying to. Um, turn into their supporters. It kind of depends on you know where they're putting in these、um, district candidates, and it also matters a lot sort of their message to their to their supporters as to how they're working or not working with the DPP. What's quite interesting this year is, in fact, the DPP traditionally the DPP and the Taiwan Solidarity Union have joined ranks, but this year, of course, the Taiwan Solidarity Union appears to have been sort of phased out somewhat. By the DPP in favor of some of these new parties. Yeah, this is interesting. Also, Gavin, in the South,、um, the Taiwan Solidarity Union, the TSU, used to、uh, run relatively、uh, frequent candidates, but this time around, I'm really not seeing、um, much in the way of that party's participation in the South. And it seems to be down to what the、uh, campaign deputy director for the DPP, Tan Jiaping, told me when I visited their、uh, headquarters、uh, not long ago. He said that the appeals that the DPP has made in the South for unity have seemed to rung a bell or, or been well received by people there. The TSU just the other day in Gaoshang put out、uh, a statement saying that. While we support、uh, many of the goals and ambitions of the DPP, we feel that for the sake of democracy, you should try to have as many parties as possible. We can caucus with them, we can、uh, work together with them, but there's no reason why one particular party should be completely dominant. However, when Tsai was visiting Gaoshang, she said very clearly that she's hoping for a majority, and not just a majority, but a Significant majority, so she can push her agenda through. She cited cases from、uh, not only overseas but also in Taiwan, where you have well, one party、uh, running the legislative yuan and one party、uh, in the presidency, and the stagnation that can occur during this. So, from the south, it appears that that、uh, um, line of unity and supermajority seems to have taken hold quite strongly. But that could not be the case, possibly in the、uh, center and north. Right, and the North is, of course, where we're seeing、uh, a lot of these、uh, third parties making their bids in、uh, local elections, especially in Taipei. That's really where、uh, most of the concentration is.、Um, and I, I just want to ask one more question before we move on to the next topic. I mean,、uh, it seems like really tied up in this question of these new parties is:、uh, is the DPP managing to make this transition to a more Uh, establishment party that people see as、uh, really being、uh, able to carry out effective governance.、Uh, 
um, because uh, a, a lot of the dissatisfaction and a lot of the reasons that we see some of these uh, third parties is because of dissatisfaction with the DPP. I mean, uh, for a long time, the only reason you would vote for the DPP is despite the KMT, because you don't like the KMT. Uh, is the DPP this time around, are they giving a reason to vote for the DPP because you like the DPP? Um, I would say I would say so. Um, I would say uh, Chairman uh, Chairwoman Tsai Ing-wen has been trying to shape the party as a um, we're a party that's about to take power. We're ready. We are going to you know we know we we know how government works. We're going to make the compromises that we need to, but we're going to be professional. And I think that's how they're trying to portray themselves. We're the the, the, the professional party. We're not a party of protesters and. And troublemakers anymore, but we are a a, a party of um, of technocrats. We're a party of experts, and we're a party of um, you know responsible politicians. Um, and in turn, some of these smaller parties, these newer parties, are kind of casting themselves in in, in sort of the the opposite way, right? So they're saying, "Hey, the DPP is going mainstream." If you're still, especially if you're a younger person who's going to come up through the ranks, through all the, the series of social protests and the series of social movements we've seen in the last two, three years. Um, these smaller parties are saying, hey, the DPP, they're, they're older. They're, you know, they're going to be the bureaucrats. If you still got that revolutionary fire in you, vote for us. So I think that's um, where the, a lot of the smaller parties are trying to capture that sentiment that the DPP is trying to um, maybe cast aside a little bit to eat into a little bit more of the KMT's traditional brand image of being you know, the responsible, you know, uh, people that take care of the government, the people who govern versus the people who complain. Um, I think the DPP is doing a pretty good job of trying to capture some of that sentiment from the KMT and then leaving in the wake, leaving a little bit more of that sort of revolutionary romantic sentiment to the smaller parties. All right. Well, many threads there, a lot to follow. Uh, but we're going to move now to our final topic, corruption. Of course, there's a certain amount of corruption, a certain amount of dirty dealings that come into play during election time for any democracy around the world. Uh, this is especially true, though, for a very young democracy like Taiwan. Uh, now, this week we heard a lot about uh, authorities' efforts to crack down on this corruption or election irregularities, depending on what you want to call it. Prosecutors, in fact, on Wednesday announced that they have handled more than 1,000 such cases so far in this election. Uh, Those include cases of vote buying, campaign violence, uh, underground gambling on poll results, as we heard last week, Uh, a lot of bad stuff. Uh, But, you know, uh, the question that I want to put to you guys, uh, of course, this element of politics has been uh, with us in Taiwan for as long as there has been Taiwan politics. Uh, But let's zero in on this election and uh, ask the question, is it actually going to impact the way things are shaken out on Saturday? Uh, And uh, Michael, what's your take on that? Well, in the South, we've been hearing stories on a daily basis related to vote uh, buying or irregularities or uh, just uh, this morning, actually, they uh, took the ballots from the printer in Kaohsiung, escorted by uh, it looked like um, AR-15 wielding uh, police officers, and it was all very, very serious, and they escorted the truck, and, uh, you know, there, there are concerns about this. But it's interesting that over the last two or three election cycles, in my view, I believe that at least here in the South, we're starting to see a reduction in the overall effectiveness of buying a vote. 
So back in the bad old days, you know, you might be able to give somebody 500 NT and, you know, they might actually listen and go down and and vote for who you tell them to. And when you had a organizational structure that the KMT had in the past where they had like a borough chief and then he was connected to this group and this community group, it was all very connected. And at that time, they were able to get large numbers of people all on the same page. Maybe some money was involved in that. Maybe it wasn't. But these times around, the last couple of elections, we've seen, even when the uh, vote-buying cases do occur, they, they seem minor, they seem smaller, they seem less effective. So a lot of people have noted that things are getting a little bit too expensive in Taiwan. You know, corruption has gone down because it's pretty hard to bribe a police officer in Taiwan these days. And vote-buying seems to be going in the same direction. It's getting too expensive to actually buy a vote. And then if you did buy one, how do you make sure that that vote was actually filed the way that you wanted it done? So I think it's going to still happen. I think you're going to see a ton of stories. I think you'll probably see three or four people, you know, get their seats vacated afterwards because of this contention or that contention. But I don't see it, at least in the South, as having the same poll that it did, uh, like, say, in the year 2000. I think you made a good point there, Michael. I mean, of course, it did happen a lot in the past. And your other good point was the fact that vote buying before the election doesn't always come out. And invariably, it's after these people get elected that they've they become red faced when it transpires that they did buy the votes instead. So definitely think quite a few seats will probably be vacated within the six months after this election. Well, real quick, just, uh, I mean, anecdotally in the past, um, especially in sort of the more rural areas, you have these um, people, you know, you have these people who are buying votes and they would say to, um, you know, your, your grandma, your, your auntie or your, your uncle and say, hey, look, um, you know, you've made a promise before the temple that you'll vote for this guy. You've taken the money. So now if you don't vote for this guy something bad is going to happen to you. Mm. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, sort of coercion, um, of course, uh, you know, threats and violence. That's how they kept these people in line. Um, I think with the more, especially with the the larger, um, you know, sort of the expected large youth vote turnout, um, I think that effect is going to be um, diluted by quite a lot. Fewer people that would buy that line. Right, exactly. Okay. Uh, well, we can only hope that uh, everybody plays nice, plays by the rules. Not too much money is passed under the table, and uh, this thing all shapes up nice and fair-like. But we'll have to wait and see till tomorrow evening. Uh, last thing I want to do in the show today, uh, since I got all you here, uh, I just want to hear about what you're going to be watching come election night. Now, we're going to be spread all over Taiwan. Uh, I, I myself am going to be at the DPP election headquarters. Gavin is going to be here at ICRT covering the election. Uh, but, you know, of course, there's going to be that one little pet project, that one little uh, pet race that's going to be interesting to each of us. And uh, I just I just want to hear from you guys. What's that thing going to be for you? Uh, Ting, let's start with you. Uh, tomorrow night, what is the one thing that you're really going to have your eyes on? Uh, I am really interested to see how the percentage of votes uh, in the PR list of all the smaller parties, whether they break um, the 5% threshold that they need to get any seats on the legislature or not. Um, I know in the past, uh, a new party, a party that's founded after, I think none of the parties have been founded after 2008 have actually gotten elected through the PR list. So, um, I mean, we, there's uh, the new part, the new power party seems to have a good chance of doing that. But I'm also interested to see how much better the other parties will have done compared to parties I've tried in the past. 
All right. So uh, will they manage to break through that uh, 5% threshold and, and get a seat through the party list? Okay. Good thing to be watching. Michael, what about you? Well, a couple of things. I'm going to be very interested in the demographics when they finally get broken down for the South, uh, the ages of voters, which way they went to see exactly what sort of demographic changes we are uh, experiencing in southern Taiwan. So some stats will be very interesting. And I'm, I'm interested as well that we haven't even discussed the, uh, the candidacy of James Song or the People First Party. And uh, it would be very, very interesting to see what sort of percentage he manages to hold on to, which could be an indicator of the health of that entire party and uh, the party that joined with him. They also newly formed Mingguo Party as well. And then uh, finally, the most interesting race is going to be uh, District 3, and that would be Zoying and Nanzi, because if the DVP does manage to unseat, or, or rather to take this open seat, this really does solidify the, the end of any sort of dominance uh, that the KMT had in Kaohsiung City itself. And it marks just a, it would mark a, a massive change from before. And uh, if, if both seats, the three and also Xiaogang, both go, then we have the clean sweep. So that's what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. And uh, Gavin in studio, what are you going to be watching? A lot of television. No, I think one one. If I had to be like truthful about this, I would have to say the race that I'd be more interesting in is the Freddie Lynn, who of course is a singer for a black death metal band. It's got to be one or the other, and of course Lin Yufeng, who is a member of the KMT and also happens to be a member of the Legislative Defence Committee. Quite a match up there. Well, it's quite a match up there, basically. Yeah, one is uh, very much old established KMT politics. The other is a metal N- rocker. NPP. Yes. All right. Uh, and I myself, well, uh, I'm going to be at the DPP headquarters, so I'm going to be looking at something a little bit more nebulous. Uh, I'm just going to be looking at the, the mood in the room. Uh, you know, there is a lot of enthusiasm around the Thai campaign, uh, and there is a lot of enthusiasm about the p- possibility of getting a majority in uh, the legislative UN. So uh, I, I just want to get the tone of how the party is feeling, uh, and, uh, you know, if, if this really is a huge momentous night for them. Are they going to carry that spirit forward going into the actual governance? I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to watch to get a feel for uh, how they're going to approach uh, their role in government going forward. So that's what I'll be looking for. But uh, that's all coming tomorrow night. For tonight, we got to wrap things up. So that's it for the show. For our broadcast listeners, remember you can find this program in its entirety online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. Or let me know what you're thinking directly. You can tweet at Keith Menconi to send me your thoughts. Uh, Gavin, very quickly, tell us about uh, ICRT's election coverage for tomorrow evening. Yes, we'll be running from 4 until about 9.30. We should have about half an hour each hour. And we'll be talking to people around Ireland. Of course, we'll be talking to you at the DPP headquarters. We'll have Jane Lee from the KMT headquarters in Taipei. We'll have, of course, Michael Smith in Kaohsiung, who'll be roaming around down there for us. Of course, Donovan will be in the Taichung area. And we'll also have a sprinkling of other people talking to us on the phone from various other parts of Taipei. And in the studio, of course, there'll be Ting, who joined us this evening, of course. There'll be Bruce Jacobs from the Monash University in Australia. And there'll be Ross Feingold for the Washington-based DC International Advisory. All right. So uh, a lot of good election commentary and coverage to look forward to tomorrow evening. Uh, You can find all that on ICRT FM 100. It's going to be really your most up-to-date source for English language coverage of this whole election. So look for all of that there. 
Uh, wrapping up the show now, signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Thanks, Gavin. Hey, good night. Chasing Yeh, thank you as well. Thanks. And Michael Smith, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.